0: Welcome into the warehouse, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball. The warehouse is part of BSL radio. Baltimore sports and life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage
1: of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board like BSL on Facebook, And follow BSL on Twitter. Twitter. Good afternoon. Welcome into the warehouse. I'm joined, as always, by my colleagues, Dr. Stephen Loftus and Matt Corey. Excited to speak to them. Uh, One second. First, a word from our sponsor, Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One, their third-generation family business established in 1959. They're located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster. Uh, They're the oldest floor-covering store in Carroll County and one of Maryland's longest-running flooring businesses. For all your flooring needs, think Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Uh, So, guys, our colleague Nick Stevens, he has a note column up, uh, spring training questions to ponder, looked at a number of different uh, issues uh, facing the Orioles or at least things to look at. Uh, Just curious some things that uh, maybe he posed that you'd like to expand on. And Matt, I'll let you uh, start.
2: Um. Well, he talked about an awful lot of stuff. So I definitely encourage people to go to Baltimore sports and and, check out the, the article there. Um, I don't know if we're going to cover all of it, but the, um, one of the interesting, you know, things I think with the Orioles is among many, um, is the, the catching situation. Um, you know, he points out Pedro Severino has had a couple good seasons behind the plate, you know, good, relatively speaking for a catcher. Um, and, you know, Cisco offers some on-base per, uh, percentage ability, um, but, you know, maybe not so much defensively. And, I, you know, I know we've, we've talked about the catching, you know, situation before, um, but, you know, Adley Rushman will be here, here being Baltimore, at some point. Um, I don't know if it'll be this year. My guess is maybe not. Um, but, uh, you know, getting something from these guys – uh, I think, is is going to be, you know, important. You know, the, the Orioles actually had a pretty good catching tandem last year, and I, I sort of expect that to continue into 2021. And so then, you know, obviously one of them or both of them will will end up somewhere else because Rushman will be there and, you know, <laughs> Chance Cisco is not blocking Adley Rushman. So uh, I, I think, uh, you know, turning those guys into, you know, the most – uh, valuable, useful uh, trade chips is a uh, is, is an organizational priority, you know, going forward.
1: Yeah, I like that, Matt, and it's um, a good point Nick raised. And we'll see how the playing time works out. Severino, um, he, he does have a better defensive reputation. I mean, uh, he is a better defensive catcher, although at times he can be a little lazy behind the plate and uh, in terms of uh, moving or. He just doesn't uh, get in front of balls, but he has a skill set. It's just a matter of all the time utilizing it. He fell apart offensively in September, but uh, there is power there, and he has hit a little bit the last two years. And then Cisco, as you mentioned, he, he has the own base percentage. He came up with uh, some pedigree as a prospect. Uh, the, the catching skills are pretty limited, pretty rough of him, even a couple of years in now, but – he does have a little bit higher uh, ceiling overall i think and it would be interesting to see if he could uh grab the job you know and and potentially become uh, some type of a trade chip uh, uh you know at some point
2: um, i mean guys take guys take leaps forward in in these you know these ways defensively um, sometimes it's not frequent necessarily but it it can happen um it's not a know. bad
1: duo for right now as we wait yeah. for you know, one of the best prospects overall in the game. It's an interesting uh, duo. And in between the two of them, they should be able to keep each other fresh and, pl- and play uh, regularly and you ride whoever's hot. Uh, uh, Steven uh, any, any thoughts from uh, Nick's article? Anything that stood out to you? <laughs>
0: Yeah, so you, you all talked about trade ships, particularly the uh, in the catching situation. And the Orioles have entered this interesting stage of the rebuild where, you know, we've talked about this before, where they've hopefully hit the majority of the bottoming out. And now it's sifting through the kind of the mid-tier of prospects to find who are the next guys up on this uh, hopefully next Orioles contender in the next few years and that really extends into two places that uh, Nick brought up namely the rotation and in the outfield particularly in a center field with the Mullins Hayes uh, battle I guess you could say but also just sifting through all of those guys to see who can stick and who can be flipped for either a little bit more future value or maybe a little bit of present value same sort of thing in the rotation I mean, we already know a bunch of the guys that are going to be up there, but the first sign that uh, uh, King Felix are, or Matt Harvey falter, you know, I want to see those guys who are right on that uh, fifth man in the rotation or sixth man, as it might be. Steven, and, uh, those guys are all rotation. stars. Those guys oh. are all stars, man. What are you talking about? Those are Those are King Felix. oh yes come on oh i mean it would be a wonderful thing to see that it would make (laughs) wonderful trade chips as well um only we had a time machine yeah exactly but but yeah i mean i'm just interested to see and again nick brought this up how those two spots kind of shake out and see who is going to be who's going to be trade fodder who's going to be fourth outfielder types and who's really going to be honest to goodness starters on this next big team
2: but you know what's kind of interesting, sorry to, to, to cut you guys off, but um, when you when you break it out that way, Stephen, and I think that's a good way to do it, um, the, the person who quote-unquote wins the job might actually also be the one who is the trade ship. Yeah. I mean, getting them that opportunity to showcase their skills, make them marketable
0: to those other teams, um, you know, there is some possible thought that, you know it maybe there is maybe Hayes is the long-term guy in center field, but maybe Mullins breaks, uh, breaks camp with the starting job and finds himself somewhere else to kind of uh, fill in a defensive late innings role for a contender. Who knows? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Well, I've said for some time, I'm pretty, uh, you know, bullish on Austin Hayes in believing in the ability. And I've also talked about how I believe that uh, Diaz will take over uh, left field relatively early in the year. Uh, but if you're a Mullins supporter and uh, you believe that he did make adjustments last year and you believe he's the gold glove caliber center fielder, uh, then one of the options would potentially be Mullins in center and Hayes in left, a- and then starting with uh, uh, Mancini and Mountcastle first in DH with Stewart kind of the odd guy out there. Uh, I One of the things that Nick mentioned, and I'll just – so. We'll, Wind up that portion. Nick said he uh, doesn't believe Stewart has any any place, and I don't know that Stewart definitively does or not, but I you know, probably would lean to saying no, but he is a guy that has power. He has the ability to get on base. Uh, there's questions of his average, but he doesn't have to hit for much average. He's shown the inability to get on base without hitting for average. Uh, if he hits for 220, I mean, he's going to uh, carry a pretty decent on-base percentage. Um, and he's under contract for some time at no at a fairly minimal cost. So if Mancini, and we'll get to that uh, later, but if Mancini winds up on the move at some uh, point this year, I think there is still a path for Stewart to uh, potentially wind up getting a fair amount of at-bats. But interesting to see how center field breaks. Elias is on the record uh, just this past week or so saying he feels he has two – really above average uh, defensive center fielders between the two of them. So uh, we'll see how uh, playing time works out. So uh, Matt, you also had a notes article this week, and you mentioned the passing of former Orioles manager, Joe Altabelli. Belly, of course, manager of the Orioles last world championship team in 1983. Uh, good thoughts you had in that article. I just wanted you to quickly expand on that, maybe give a little, a little background there.
2: Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I I, I grew up uh, listening to Orioles games on the radio. I grew up outside D.C. and and I talked about this a little bit in um, you know in the article and because you know all good writers make everything about themselves. So <laughs> yeah, well done me. Um, I I think it's interesting though that you know that the most famous manager in Orioles history uh, is is the guy. Who you know was the manager before and after their their most recent championship? I know you don't get anywhere on an Orioles podcast or with the message board or anything, knocking Earl Weaver, <laughs> and that's not my goal here. I love Earl Weaver, and he is a you know man before his time. So that will be the
1: headline, Matt. But I you know, <laughs> I know.
2: It's it's been done. The damage is done. Um, but uh, you know, I I think Altabelli really fit exactly what that team needed. You know, in in, in a really sort of modern way you know, the way that you see, um, you know, front offices, you know, pick managers now. Um, you know, he. if you go back and look at that roster that that the Orioles had, they, they had some serious star power for sure. You know, uh, Ripken was the MVP. Murray hit, I think, 33 homers, his uniform number. Um, and of course, Jim Palmer was, was still there. I think he was 37 at the time. Um, but, you know, the rest of that group, was kind of cobbled together you know not in a certainly not in a bad way but there just wasn't a whole lot of guys who had great careers they just kind of all had good years together at that time Um, and you know that's a credit to them individually and as a team but also I think a lot of credit needs to go to the manager you know the manager and that you know, the fact that people don't really think about Altobelli as as a great manager in Orioles history. You know, he really wasn't there very long. He won the World Series. The next year, they they had a good, not great year, um, which, you know, again, looking back at that, uh, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, looking back at that roster is not shocking. Uh, and then they got off to kind of a slow start. And I think at that point, Earl Weaver had decided he wanted to come back. And so, he did and outtbelly was out and that was kind of it and he never managed again except for one game for the cubs as an interim manager so um you know i remember listening to john miller on the radio and i remember outtbelly's name and i just didn't know that much about him other than he was the manager you know the way that the game is covered now we get you know onslaught of of managerial coverage you know when when the uh you know, when, when the Red Sox changed their manager recently, it was, you know, a thousand articles all over the uh, the internet. Um, and that just didn't exist at the time. Um, and this might be a particularly negative interpretation. So please push back if need be, I didn't put this in the article, but, um, I just had this thought about the, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the whole Conan O'Brien taking over the tonight show from Jay Leno. Uh, and then Leno, you know, whatever it was six months later or something strong arming his way yeah. back into the, the job and pushing Lena, uh, pushing O'Brien out. Um, it, there's, there's shades of that here. I think, um, you know, Weaver retired and out took over and, and, you know, I mean, O'Brien didn't even do that well, at least to start off with. So there was at least some justification for going back to a, a you know, a ratings winner in Leno, uh, not to belabor this point, but um <laughs> no,
1: it, it's kind of a kind of an interesting comparison, obviously. Uh, so the '82 Orioles, where we we were steps away, they were in a battle with Milwaukee until the last weekend, and and right. they were uh, four games back. They win the first three, they lose the last game uh, of that season. Uh, Palmer getting knocked around by the recently and the uh, recently deceased Don Sutton gets to win. Uh, So then they come back in 83, as you said, when they're out the belly, and it's not – certainly if you look back at the pieces, as as you alluded to, it wasn't uh, the most talented team. uh, But they win the championship uh, there, and then, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, you know, two years later, uh, Weaver comes back probably for a – and, you know, I I wasn't there, and it's just only me reading and secondhand information. But you would imagine – that second act never really goes as well as the, uh, as the first uh, when you're coming back, but kind of an interesting moment. Uh, I, f- I thought that was a good article. Uh, Matt I appreciated you just uh, having the thoughts on that to belly somebody that is kind of a bit forgotten in Orioles lore, but as we look back uh, three world championships in the Orioles history and he has one of them and he has the last one nearly four decades on uh, Steven, you also had a great article, we haven't touched on it, uh, uh, but I wanted to go back to this. A couple of weeks ago, you debuted the 2021 draft model. Uh, first, if uh, anybody is not aware, Steven has done uh, draft coverage for the site the last couple of years. Just excellent work uh, building off what he had done professionally with uh, the race. So really lucky to have him. Do this. Uh, so, Stephen, kind of introduce the draft model overall, w- what it looks to encompass, kind of the, the thoughts there. And then, just, uh, you know, obviously, we're way early into the uh, college season, but just general thoughts of who could be in play for the Royals for their initial selection.
0: Yeah, sure. So, the draft model, the whole goal of it is to try to. Simultaneously model the chances that a player reaches the majors as well as their performance should they reach the majors. And in doing so, I collect all the data that I can possibly find. And it gets to be a large amount of data by the time all is said and done. But college stats, um, participation for high schoolers in particular uh, elite showcases. I'm working on getting summer ball in there. That's a little bit harder to match things up. Uh, Biographical data all of this sort of stuff and trying to build again this prediction of how good players are going to ultimately be. So this is, you know, commonplace in pretty much every front office. This is what my job was ultimately with the Rays. And so when I left there, I decided I wanted to continue it because I find the problem and the question, both from a, you know, purely academic point of view fascinating as well as from a baseball point of view. So Chris, as you said, we have So much time to go before July when the draft finally hits here. And the rankings have just started to come out. Baseball America's first rankings came out about a couple months ago. Keith Law came out with his rankings this week. And at the top, there's pretty much a strong consensus. So generally speaking, scouts this year think that the strength in this year's draft is in its high school position players and somewhat in college pitching, not quite as deep as last year, but there's a lot of college starters. Headlined, of course, by the Vanderbilt duo of Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker. They're going to pretty much be at the top of everyone's draft boards. And then on the position player side from high schoolers, um, Marcelo Meyer and uh, Jordan Lawler are at the top of the draft as well. For me, out of my model results right now, they're 1A and 1B. The model currently has Meyer just a little bit ahead, but um, I personally lean Lawler. Just uh, I think he has slightly louder tools you know, just from what I've seen. But... There's going to be a lot of changes as we go through the season with the draft model, especially right now. A lot of college players are ranked kind of low because of the way the model incorporates their statistics. Um, The shortened season last year honestly hurts them. And as they accrue more plate appearances, more innings pitched, things are going to grow there for them. There have been a few players that have been kind of mocked to the Orioles. I mean, over the last few drafts, it seems like uh, Mike Elias really likes... Uh, college bats from major conferences. He loves SEC guys who have faced that top-tier college pitching. So you see guys like Judd Fabian get mentioned uh, to the Orioles a few times. Uh, Jack Leiter got mocked in the initial mock draft by Baseball America, I believe, to the Orioles. And honestly, right now that looks great. He has looked incredible on the mound. I I wanted the Orioles to oversign him in uh, 2019 when he was coming out of high school, but, uh, you know, that just didn't happen. And then of course, Kumar Rocker has been the big name. He's been at the top of the boards ever since he decided to, you know, not sign his high school year. He's got a few questions there, but if he fell to the Orioles, he'd be at five, he'd be a tough one to turn down honestly, but it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to seeing where this college season winds out going.
1: Yeah, obviously a long way to go uh, forward, to seeing how the season progresses and the, uh, Uh, The model changes. Uh, Lighter is kind of who I had my early sights on, you know, thinking uh, between ability and availability. Uh, But to your point there about Elias and uh, targeting uh, positional players, I definitely think it's it's certainly been a focus uh, 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 of the Orioles, and they have added a lot of uh, uh, positional talent. And with the college players, I mean, going back to – some of their comments in Astro Ball and obviously makes sense. They have a higher. Uh, there's more history to work with. They understand, uh, you know, uh, what they're getting uh, more. I guess there's questions sometimes with college player if you have the, the ceiling of the of the high school uh, kids there at the top, and a matter of getting them into your system early earlier in and indoctrinated. But uh, in terms of not missing, uh, you, you have uh, far more information on the college guy and that's got to be encouraging uh, uh, there at the top.
0: Yeah, no question. I mean, honestly, the safest bet, as safe as these bets honestly get in the draft is the college position player. Um, just based on the long track record through high school, the existence, especially nowadays of you know, track man data and all of that, um, you can get a lot better read on these players. And I do think as the kind of pitch design movement, driveline sort of thing has moved along, I think there is a little bit more of a philosophy of kind of a build a pitcher sort of mindset. A guy with a live arm, you can start making changes to repertoire, assuming they have that arm there. So maybe you don't need to invest at those high levels when it, you have that extra risk.
2: I think the the Cubs are an interesting model here, given um, Stephen what you said and, and Chris your your follow up statements. You know that the Cubs sort of famously backed off of drafting pitchers really high, just because, I mean, I'm sure there were lots of reasons individually for their particular picks, but as an organizational philosophy, I think it it came from minimizing, you know, the danger of injuries that you just, you just don't have the same injury risk with, you know, with with position players that you do with pitchers. And so you're, you're just, you know, because you need to um, you know, you need to hit on these really high picks you just it's just so much easier to hit on guys who are position players maybe even high schoolers than than a pitcher and i think that's one reason you just don't see smart teams picking high school pitchers that high anymore and you know if you look at steven's rankings if you look at keith law's rankings you just don't see high school pitchers up there and it's not because those guys aren't going to be all-stars at the major league level at some point they may well be but the dangers are you know are great when they're when they're at that point um I don't know if you guys have anything. I, think,
1: I, think a, I just think it's a great point, Matt. It's something that uh, I know we've been discussing it on our board for years, and uh, a lot of our posters were on a another local board for, for years, and I remember we were discussing it there as, as well, just with if, the, if you're the Orioles and you're picking near the top of the draft, right, and you've had a fin system and – yeah, you want to get as much ceiling as possible with your pick, but there's also the, the balance there of I got to make sure it doesn't flame out and do I get something out of, out of this player? And if you, have, if you build up the system, the depth overall, then you'll have other options to trade for uh, you know, potential need down the road. But it's always a balance, I'm sure, between uh, just pure ceiling and, and uh, viability.
2: Um, I had a question for Steven um, about, about the, the model. I, I wonder, how do you account for the difference between high school and college? So there's a few ways. Um, generally speaking, younger players uh wind out
0: having higher ceilings regardless. Right. Like you see this a lot. It gets mentioned that the Indians, they they were one of the early adopters of you know model based uh draft strategies. And if the guy's close to 17 out of high school, he's probably going to the Indians somewhere. Oh, excuse me. Uh, excuse me, I forgot they changed the name to Cleveland, uh to Cleveland system. Excuse me, sorry about that. Um and they so that age is a major, major advantage to high schoolers Also, so simultaneously in the model is a component that tries to explain or understand the amount of variability that a player possibly has, kind of that ceiling sort of aspect. A player with a high amount of variability, they might have a lower floor, but they're also going to have a high ceiling. Right. So with that in mind, high schoolers generally... Um, by that age component and a few other things and there have that higher ceiling. So that's where they kind of start making up for the less sure thing aspect that the uh, college players have.
1: So good stuff there. We'll keep following. Uh, and as we wind up our Orioles coverage of the day, Matt, again, another article we didn't touch on last week, but another great article you wrote, you wrote about the Trey Mancini situation. And I think you really encapsulated it. Well, uh, I'll just, kind of let you kind of overview that article and then uh, uh, we we'll get Stephen's reaction there.
2: Well, I tried to, to, you know, talk about Mancini as a, you know, as a person, as a, you know, a cancer um, survivor. Um, and also as a baseball player and, you know, a, a potentially valuable trade ship. And it's really hard to put those two things together because, you know, on one hand, you've got sort of, you know, humanity, um, the, the humanity of the man and, and uh, you know, his, his triumph over disease. And then on the other hand, you've got, you know, a, a much more business focused value laden perspective on, you know, him as a baseball player. Um, and so I think it's hard to it's hard to balance those two out, you know, and that's going to be a real challenge for the Orioles. Uh, and, you know, Mike in specific going forward, I, I, I talked about both of those things. And I think I, I kind of, I don't know if it made the article better or not, but um, I ended up looking at some potential trade uh, trades that have happened in the recent past and talking about why they might be applicable to a Mancini, um, you know, trade deadline deal and, um, and they're up there uh, at, at the site. The I think the one that, that fit maybe the best, even though it's not necessarily a, a great comp specifically, is the um, Nick Castellanos deal. Um, he went from the Tigers to the Cubs. Uh, he was a free agent at the time, or about to be, um, but he was also a guy with a probably maybe a a better offensive reputation or, or at least as good and uh, a lot younger uh, relatively, you know, I think he was 27 at the time and will be 29. Um, And, you know, you can look at the, at the article and and see what they, what they got from the Cubs for him, but it was two guys who were picked really high in the draft. Um, Chicago's first round pick in 2017 and their second round pick in 2018. Um, And I, you know, I think if the Orioles were offered something similar, um, you know, from a from another team, I, I it might be kind of hard for Elias to turn that down. Um, I don't know what you think, Stephen. As far as that goes, but I, um, I, I think it's it's going to be. I mean, from a fan's perspective, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle this.
0: Yeah, it it really is hard to reconcile the truly business numbers uh as you said, soulless spreadsheet, just mentioned that last week with the humanity and what Trey Mancini has truly overcome. I mean, and we brought, honestly, we talked about some of this again last week when we were talking about Adam Jones reconciling, uh you know, in that case, a player who's over his prime but had been a leader for the team. I mean, Mancini is one of the longest tenured Orioles left at this point, if not the longest. Um I mean, Let's see. He made a few appearances. You know, he played in five games back in 2016. The last time the Orioles were, you know, even sniffed the playoffs sort of thing. And he's the last one probably with any sort of even remote connection to those guys, to those teams, those playoff teams. And so, again, in a way, it's the if offered to top two top um, to top couple of rounds prospects, it's going to be tough to turn down. It truly will be. And it still won't be the best look. It's never been the best look for sabermetrics and analytics in general, ever since this movement has really kind of started taking hold within baseball. If I had to bet, I would bet the Orioles. It's not going to happen this year. I don't think unless someone just really surprises us with an offer. I think it's more likely to happen a year from now. I think it's going this year is going to be more of a, to a certain extent from the soulless spreadsheets point of view, recovering trade value point of view. Um, but I think for management's perspective, I think it's more of a kick the can down the road a year and make that assessment then. But for a
1: as well, my, be only, tough. my only question there, Stephen, would be, it's June Mancini looks healthy and he's performing. He's playing every day. He's playing at the level you would expect, not above or below. Uh, isn't he going to have more value in terms of a trade now with that additional year of of control versus pulling this uh, versus looking to trade next year?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, yes, absolutely. If he had, he'll assuming he's recovered his value, performed all that sort of thing. uh, This year would be the higher trade value. There's no question about it. I just think it might take a little bit longer or a desperate team. Like, you know, if,
1: if need arises. Yeah, so, I
0: don't know. If the if Freddie Freeman goes down with a ACL on the Braves and they suddenly need a first baseman, you know, that's let's say there's an opening there on that end of things. So I mean, like, who knows? A desperate team could chain or a fluky injury could change the whole situation in a heartbeat.
1: I mean, it's very interesting to to see what happens here. And Matt, I thought your article was great. You you towed the line between the humanity and the and the you know on field concerns. And, I, and I'm i not going to say it's a, a complete litmus test because I think Elias will ultimately have the ability to do what he wants, but I still feel like it would be very Orioles for him to wind up getting an extension in the sometime in the coming months. Uh, so I, I could be fine either way. I, I, I'll just keep saying. It. You can extend him, and I think he could be part of the next winning team and you can trade him, and I will be perfectly fine with that because if they're going to trade him, they're going to get a decent return. I'm, I, I, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, not they won't have to give him away. Uh, that that's the point. You know, I'm not saying you're going to hijack some other team and get you know, some immense return, but if they move him, I'm, I'll, I'm sure I'm going to like the return. Uh, sorry, uh, I'm going to move on to general MLB discussion and do overviews of the two central divisions. We'll start with the national league. And I'm going to ask guys how they handicap the division, their five favorite players in the division and which individual do they like to break out. So we'll start with how do you handicap the division? And, uh, uh, Stephen, we'll let you kind of, uh, start things off there. So
0: starting in the NL central, it really seems like a two-man race. I mean, odds makers and, you know, fan graphs give the Reds and the Cubs, you know, like a one in 10 chance apiece. But to me, it all comes down to the Brewers and the Cardinals. And both of those teams, neither of them are incredible. Like we're talking barely over 500 by all the projections for the Cardinals and the Brewers. And they both have holes. And I think the division is going to come down to who honestly plugs those holes the best. I mean, the Brewers did a little bit of work on that signing Jackie Bradley Jr., um, but I tend to think the Cardinals have an edge on that one. They have a deeper stash of prospects to be able to make a move mid season. If they need to, their top one, you know, Dylan Carlson should be showing up at some point here this season. And he projects to be a guy that can stick. So I would probably give the Cardinals about a 45, 50% chance of taking this division ultimately.
1: So we're going to alternate back and forth Bath, you, you, you agree there at the top.
2: Um, I think it's really close. I, yeah, I, I, I think any of the, you know, four teams, um, not non-pirates, uh, four teams could, uh, you know, could, could take it. And, you know, I think the projections, the the public projections all have them within, you know, four or five games, depending on which, uh, you know, which ones you look at. Um, I, I, I've sort of come around on the Cubs, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think people might be underselling them just, just based on how last year went, you know they had a, a number of guys ha, you know big talented guys who had bad seasons and i think it's reasonable to expect them to not have bad seasons over a longer stretch of 2021 and their starting rotation isn't that bad um you know it's it's not it would be better if they had you darvish but you know they did what they did and and that's uh that's the way that goes i guess but um but i don't think it's that bad and you know, I continue to think that a large component of, of building a bullpen is luck. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, and so you know the, the Cubs bullpen may be bad. I, I, you know, I won't pretend to be an expert on the Cubs bullpen, but um, you know, but I, I, I think they they have some offensive upside, and I, I think they have uh, you know pretty good rotation. I think Stevens totally right about you know the Cardinals. They have they have some young players who could step in and and be. Um, you know, be, be really, uh, impressive, but, but, you know, they're, they're still young players and they haven't yet. So I think it's hard to count on that happening. Um, I do like Bradley with the Brewers. Um, although Craig council, the Brewers manager came out and said that he's going to start Kane in center field. So kind of have to go, wait, what, didn't you just give him Bradley a two-year deal? He's like one of the best defenders in center in in baseball, but okay, sure. Um, but anyway, so assuming that Bradley gets the start in the center field at some point in the near future, um, you know, I, the Brewers are an intriguing um, group for similar reasons. Like, you know, they they can't really hit that well, but, um, you know, I think they'll hit better than they did last year. Um, Christian Yelich in, in specific had a down year. Uh, sort of a Chris Bryant kind of thing, just really rough 2020 season. And and we've discussed 2020 before. It's just a bizarre thing, and I think you can kind of place it to the side. It's Christian Yelich; He's going to be good, and so I think we can expect that.
1: Uh, Matt, five favorite players in the division?
2: Five favorite players in the National League Central. Um, I wrote them down. Where are they? Uh, I had Dylan Carlson as, as one. Oh, no, I had him as my breakout Cause you asked about that too. So sorry, I jumped the gun on that. Uh, Yelich, um, Jackie Bradley, who we've, you know, just talked about, uh, Bradley is, is a, a difference maker defensively. Um, I think he's a little underrated offensively. He's, he's not a great hitter, but he's kind of league average. Um, you know, and, and he's incredibly streaky. So, uh, if you catch him at the right time, he is a great hitter. Uh, Devin Williams, uh, we'll do the little quiz thing I like to do. So, uh, Devin Williams last year, 27 innings. Does anyone know how many strikeouts he had?
0: I want, to say, I want to say he was like 16, 17 Ks per nine. So you said 27 innings. So that
2: would be what, about 48, 50? 53. Yeah. Okay. 53. You're very good. Very good, Stephen. 53. He walked nine. He gave up eight hits and one home <laughs> run.
1: Jeez. Yeah.
2: So uh, I'm really curious to see how he can do over a, a, a long season. Yeah. Um. And, uh, you know, Chris Bryant, incredibly talented hitter, um, you know, had a, had a rough season in 2020, like I said, and I, I think he's much better than he showed there. So I'm, I'm curious to see if he can be the, I mean, I don't know if you guys remember, it was a 2016 when he came up and everyone was talking about how he was like going to be the greatest player ever. And, and he was, you know, the, the Cubs held him back because quote unquote defensive issues or some ridiculous crap Um, a popular excuse yeah uh but he i I, you know that's still in there that that offensive ability is still in there i think and so i'm i'm curious to see uh to see how his 2021 goes
1: i like that uh steven about your uh, top five there
2: so as we go
0: through these you're going to learn a lot about what i really like in baseball so um i picked one for each team just because i mean. Otherwise, that was nice of you. Yeah, <laughs> otherwise, we would, <laughs> otherwise we would never talk about the Pirates, and I, I have some. Family Pitch, up in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Sports and
1: Life help. will be really exciting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but on the Pirates, you got to say, Cabrian Hayes looks great. I mean, I love the glove. He's the type of guy he could, you know, win ten Gold Gloves, assuming Nolan Arenado lets him win one. Um, and had insane exit velos last year. I don't think it'll continue, but he's a guy in Pittsburgh. The Cubs, Zach Davies, you know, former Oriole, you know. I, I love a pitcher that can throw a change up. There are a few better than Zach Davies out there. Um, Sonny Gray with the Reds. So I have a quiz for you. How many active pitchers have more career wins above replacement than Sonny Gray, if you had to guess? Active? Oh gosh. Active. Uh, 10?
1: 20?
0: I say 25. He's not that great. But I mean, okay. for a guy who's literally <laughs> for a guy who's literally never had a top 15 wins above replacement season. He's chugging along. He's doing a lot better than you would really expect given, you know, his year to year to year. Just goes out there, elite spin and does the you know, does the job sort of thing.
2: He's had a Um, a really good career with the exception of his time in New York. Like he was exactly just bizarrely bad in New York and then all of a sudden is fine again. Yeah, no, no question. Not everybody
1: can handle playing in that, uh, in that market, (laughs) I guess.
0: Then last two miles, Nicholas, I love the, you know, coming back from Japan and just, you know, tearing it up again. And then with the brewers, and I think the division could hang on this Keston Hura, you know, shows up as a second baseman, barrels the ball, but exit Vila went a little weird last year. So, and he's getting moved off a second base. So the bat really has to play up at first. So, but he's a guy who I think can do great things and is better than again, the weird 2020.
1: All right. Good list there. And Steven, just to round things out, who do you like to break out in the central? Uh, So one guy,
0: again, one of my other great loves is two way players and uh, Michael Lorenzen with the reds. He's got big stuff and he's hitting the rotation really for the first time. I think he could uh, surprise a few people and, you know, he's probably not going to hit anymore, at least not often, but you know, it's always nice to see a pitcher actually be able to handle the bat occasionally.
1: And Matt, you mentioned him, but uh, I'll let you go ahead and say again there.
2: yeah, Dylan Carlson, one of the one of the top prospects um, in baseball, and he's he's a guy who maybe doesn't have like one elite elite skill, but he's really good at a lot of things. Um, and you know the the yeah, he he looks like he can step in and uh, and you know get a corner outfield spot going right now and uh, you know, put up weighted runs created plus in the one twenties, um, you know, sort of in perpetuity. Um, so I'm, I, I, I don't know if that's a breakout, but you know, a minor leaguer stepping in and being a 20% above average as a, as a player overall, I guess I'm, I'm cheating and, uh, and, and putting him in there. Good stuff. As
1: you guys said, not the strongest division, but could be an interesting division with, uh, the relative parity throughout, uh, We'll jump to the AL. Also, stay in the Central. And uh, Matt, how do how do you look at things at the top there?
2: Uh, the AL Central that I think is going to be a lot stronger of a division than the, than the NL Central. Um, although it would have been a lot stronger had um, Cleveland not uh, not traded. Well, I guess Clevenger got hurt anyway. But you know they've they've been in the process of tearing down, seemingly. Um, yeah, the I mean the White Sox. They have some questions maybe at the back of the rotation. Um, You know, the, the, but between them and the twins, I, I, you know, I think both of them are going to score a lot of runs. Um, And I think, I think it's going to be, you know, an, an exciting race there. Um, I don't know how Cleveland is going to score. You know, they have Jose Ramirez. I think they probably have an outfielder somewhere on the roster, but I'm not sure who it is. Um, you know, the, the Royals picked up Ben attendee and they've got some young guys breaking in to the rotation. Um, and I think, you know, they, they could be interesting to watch. Um, I, I kind of like what they're doing there, but I don't think they're a great team. And then, you know, the tigers are, are just bad. Um, and, but they do have a couple young players who are, who are worth mentioning, um, that I might mention later.
1: And, uh, Steven, uh, Chicago or the Twins? Who do you like uh, better there in Central? Or are you going to surprise me and uh, pick someone else there? <laughs>
0: no, I'm taking Chicago. I they have the deepest lineup. Fifth starter's a little bit of question, and they have some help on the way. I mean, Andrew Vaughn can again from the draft stuff that I've done in the past, he can rake, and it'll just be interesting to see how the pitching holds up. But honestly, this could be the start of a AL Central dynasty, assuming like they can hold it together.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot to like with the, uh, the uh, White Sox. interest interesting to see them. And uh, Minnesota, uh, uh, a lot of power in the lineup. It seems like age might be get, getting to them, and I think uh, uh, the White Sox could uh, get them with their youth. We'll see how that plays out over 162. Steven, top uh, your five most interesting players uh, for you in the, in the AL Central.
0: So – For the White Sox, there's so many, and so many are going to get a lot of headlines, but uh, I really like Yasmani Grandal. There's not been a better catcher since 2015, basically. I mean, he's been better by wins above replacement. He's been better than Posey. He's been better than Yachty. He's been better than them all. Puts up 20% uh, offense better than average. He walks, and he's an elite framer. So, like, hard to argue with that. For the Twins, Nelson Cruz, he had the he basically had the third best old man power season last year in 2020. The only two better wins about um, WRC pluses for a guy 39 or
1: older. I got Barry- to I, I pause on Nelson Cruz for one second. Uh, so, uh, obviously, former Oriole Nelson Cruz, 2014 puts up a monster year, right? And this was a bigger year than he had put up uh, in some time. Uh, if you look back at his. 11, 12, 13 seasons. And I was fine about the Royals potentially bringing him back, but I said, you know, it wouldn't be a huge priority for me, and I think you got to look and expect his numbers to go down. The guy has just continued to rake from from, from, yes. from that, uh, that point forward as he's aged. Uh, so that thread gets pulled up every year. And, and uh, oh, at yeah. the board, I, I always enjoy looking back at my previous <laughs> comments there.
2: So – the well the R- Mariners R- gave him then the Mariners give him like a 3 year deal into his like mid 30s and everyone was like or it was a 4 year deal. I forget. 4 years. 4 yeah, years. Yeah, and and everyone was like, "Oh my god, you guys are morons." And and he he outhit that deal and then he they either traded him or he left in free agency. I forget which. I think he left. Okay. And and uh and everyone was like, "All right, well, at least at least we got the 4 years of good play out of him. We're, you know, glad we didn't resign him." That was like 3 or 4 years ago and the guy's still hidden. Yeah. yeah. So that's been fun. Sorry yeah, no, to
1: interrupt you there, Steve. No Can problem. Yeah,
2: but yeah, the only old man
0: power offense seasons that were better than last year's, assuming again, 200 plate appearances, you know, 2020 short, all that. Only ones better were Barry Bonds and Jim Tomei. I mean, come <laughs> on. I'd say if he had been born literally a day earlier, he would have had because he's born July 1st. So his it was his age 39 season last year been born a day earlier, he would have had the best age 40 or older offensive season last year. Again, 200 plate appearances or more. So yeah. Um, Cleveland, <laughs> Shane Bieber. I mean, it's obvious, but it's great to see someone who like, he wasn't a huge prospect name coming up. One of my last articles with fan was saying like he completes the Indians rotation. I never thought he would lead it like this, but it's great to see him develop in that way. Uh, Let's see, the Royals, Greg Holland. I mean, for all you say about 2020 being weird, he suddenly appeared to be a top 15 reliever again. So, you know, that's a surprise. And then the Tigers, uh, Spencer Torkelson. Not that he's a major league player or anything like that. Heck, he hasn't even played a professional game. But even without a single professional game, there are some projection systems that say he would put up an uh WRC plus only seven percent below league average without a professional game. He is gonna be a special hitter when it all
2: comes around, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Good list
1: there. How about you, Matt?
2: Well, first I want to tell you that when David Ortiz was 40, he hit 315, 401, 620 with 38 homers so there we yeah go. also really so, enjoyed nah.
1: watching ortiz for years so that was great too so. yeah <laughs>
2: um sorry i got i got i got a little overheated there Williams, um, yeah. <laughs> uh players to watch in the central well i you know this is i guess really specific to me since you're asking me um andrew benintendi is a guy and i've written about him uh elsewhere and he's he's a really interesting prospect because you know, pro, pro, not prospect, but you know, his prospects are interesting, I guess is what I mean to say. Like he, he was a, um, you know, a top prospect in baseball. Uh, you know, he came up in Boston and, and had a, you know, sort of a, a, maybe not quite as good as everyone was hoping for. And then, you know, sort of fell off in 2019. He maybe over, um, got over I don't know if you can say that, but, uh, that that might might have been part of the problem. He lost some athleticism, lost some foot speed, and then 2020 was an utterly lost season, you know, as it was for you know a lot of people, like we talked about. So, uh, change of scenery, guy now in Kansas City. I'm I'm really curious to see how he works out there. Another Royal, since um, I'm not following Steven's rule of doing one for each team. Uh, another Royal is uh, Chris Bubik, the 23-year-old uh, starting pitcher. Um, you know, if the Royals are going to surprise and, and make a run at a wild card, I think he's got to he's got to be there. Um, another young starting pitcher who I'm eager to see and I'm uh, fan graphs has Matt Manning in the Tigers rotation and I'm not sure if they're going to do that, but I would love to see it. Um, you know, for first round pick one of the top pitching prospects in baseball um, killer fastball one of the one of those big strong dudes. Um, so give me more of that. And, uh, Yohan Mancata is, is a big, I don't know if he's a question mark. Um, you know, defensively maybe a question mark. He, he was amazing in 2019, sort of a you know big breakout year for a guy who's just dripping with talent. Um, and then took a, took a bit of a step back in 2020. And, you know, again, another theme here is a 2020 weird year put that aside and see how, uh, how he does, you know, if he's back to his 2019 ways, the White Sox maybe have uh, more than a step on the twins.
1: Steven finishes off with uh, AL central, your uh, breakout uh, candidate there. So
0: he got a little bit of work last year. I think he's going to wind out taking uh, Cleveland's closer role, but uh, James Karinchak could be an interesting guy. Lots of Ks, huge fastball, but lots of walks that usually come with it. If he can keep it under control, he's a guy that could put up some big numbers and could help shore up the back end of that bullpen a lot. And Matt,
1: uh, you get the last word here. Uh,
2: well, I forgot. I think I only gave you four before. Um, well, the, but... <laughs> uh Josh uh Stalmont the reliever for for the Royals uh he's he's a really intriguing arm uh, and and I'm you know another another big uh strikeout guy for uh you know the back of the bullpen and so I'm I'm really curious uh to see him to see him pitch um as far as uh, breakouts go I it's not really a breakout, but I'm going to cheat and just say the, the guy that I'm most looking forward to watching, I think is Lucas Chialito. Um, he's, you know, completely reinvented himself since his prospect days. And, uh, he's such a smart, you know, pitcher, um, you know, I, in the mold of, of, uh, of the smartest pitchers in the game, guys who are really out there both analytically and thinking, always thinking about how to set batters up, how to change their pitching uh, style around. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm really eager to see him. He's a guy that, uh, I don't know if you guys do this, but whenever I play fantasy, uh, I always try to get these guys on, on my team, the guys who I, I really want to follow, which maybe why I'm not a great fantasy player, but, uh, you know just just uh he, he's a guy who you know who i would pick real real uh real high just for that reason just as an excuse to watch him all the time
1: good stuff from you both uh good World's talk good uh, uh hearing about both central divisions appreciated that look forward to seeing you guys on the on the board people go check out their respective articles at the site baltimoresportsandlife.com uh i wasn't going to touch it because but i just had the thought uh There was an article the other day on the Orioles at Beyond the Box score, which is uh, SB Nation's sabermetrically inclined site, which used to be of pretty high quality. They've had some good uh, writers over the years. I know two of our former writers went and uh, worked for them at a time. Steven's raising his hand. He was there uh, once before as well. I remember that now. But they did their Orioles preview the other day, and that was just horrific. Uh, uh, You know, just put in a little bit of effort, guys. I mean, it's just uh, you yeah. know. So that's my word for today. Go out and check that uh, that drivel that was out there. You can
2: even hate, you can hate uh, read that.
1: <laughs> hate read that. Yeah, it's all over the Orioles interwebs. You can find the link, or maybe I'll put it up on the board at some point. But anyway, for better coverage, come and read us, BaltimoreSportsLife.com, and uh, wrap up the week. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Take care.